turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3. We have been looking at Proverbs this fall, and we come today to the study of stewardship in the Proverbs. A steward is someone who manages another person's property. Uh, Joseph would be a classic case of a steward as he was over all that Potiphar had and managed it. Well, that's a position that uh, uh, men are in. God is the owner. Man doesn't own anything. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And we manage God's property. The Christian is doubly in that position in the sense that he has been bought with a price. He's not his own. A little boy made a boat and uh, put it on the lake, and the wind came up and blew the boat to the other side of the lake, and he went over there and it was gone. He was downtown the next day and saw his boat in a window for sale, five dollars. He went inside and said, that's my boat. I made it. The fellow said, well, I found it and it's mine. You can have it for five dollars. He went home and emptied his piggy bank, came back and bought the boat. He walked out and said, little boat, you are doubly mine. I made you and then I bought you back. Well, that's the way it is with us. We are doubly the Lord's. He created us. Then at immense cost to himself, he purchased us back when we'd gone astray. We're not our own. We're bought with a price, the blood of the Son of God. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirits which are his. Uh, when we trust in Christ and surrender to him as the one who died for us, we are bought with a price. We're no longer to live henceforth under ourselves, but under him. Uh, we're stewards. <clears throat> we manage many things. We manage our bodies. We manage our minds. We manage our our talents and gifts. We have the stewardship of the gospel, the stewardship of prayer. Just think of all the things we are over that can bear fruit for God. And we talk about those other things. We talk about evangelism. We talk about prayer. We talk about using our gifts. But today we're talking about the stewardship of our material resources. In the third chapter, in the ninth verse, it says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. Notice the call to prompt acknowledgement of the claims of God, to honor him with our substance, with our material wealth, with the first fruits of all uh, our increase. <clears throat> the uh, first fruits were the first portion of the harvest, and these were to be given to the Lord. And until that portion was given... The Israelites were not free to take any of their harvest for themselves because they were acknowledging the claim of God that they were his stewards. And this was the way in which they were to acknowledge it. In uh, the 14th verse of Leviticus 23, Ye shall eat neither bread nor parched corn nor green ears until the selfsame day that you have brought an offering unto your God. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all of your dwellings. Yeah, I call to prompt acknowledgement. The Lord, in a sense, should be given the first portion of our income. Now, what is the correct portion to give? Well, throughout Scripture, when a portion is mentioned, it's the tenth of the tithe. Uh, for instance, even before your Mosaic legislation, you had Abraham giving tithes to God's priest Melchizedek. Or you had Jacob promising the Lord the tithe of all that the Lord gave him. But then it was in, 
actually written into the Old Testament Mosaic laws. For instance, in Leviticus chapter 27, the last chapter of Leviticus, verse 30. And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It shall be holy to the Lord, set apart to him. Verse 32, concerning the tithe of the herd or of the flock, even whatever passeth under the rod, the tenth shall be holy unto the Lord. He shall not search whether it be good or evil, neither shall he change it. If he changes it, then both it and the change thereof shall be holy. In other words, as the sheep herder took his flock into the fold, he would count them, and each one that passed under the rod, the tenth one was to be cut out, that was for the Lord. And if he saw a fat one coming up, and he swapped, you've got to give both it and the swap to the Lord. If anybody loses in this process, it must be you, not the Lord. Uh, in Malachi 3.8, it says, Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing, there will not be room enough to receive. Uh, the idea that if I keep any of that tenth for myself, I'm robbing God. And if I really want to give something, I have to give over and above the tenth. Suppose I came up to you and said, I'd like to give you a gift. You said, that would be nice. I said, let me see your wallet. You said, why do you want my wallet? Well, let me see your wallet. You give me your wallet, and I take out $20 and give it to you. I say, here's a gift. It's that was mine to begin with. Take out your wallet and give me $20. Then you'll be giving me a gift. The Lord says the tenth is mine. So that's the starting place. If we keep that, we rob from him, it says. When you come to the New Testament, you don't have much stated about tithing. You do have a little, but the emphasis is on proportionate giving and uh, giving as the Lord has prospered and on sacrificial giving. And uh, I think the tithe is assumed as you approach the New Testament. And it, in fact, we don't want to let our love be satisfied by his law. Uh, we want to go over and above. The challenge uh, here to honor the Lord with our substance, prompt acknowledgement. Now, we see uh, something of the call and the correct proportion. Uh, what is the incentive to make such an acknowledgement? Well, you notice what it says in verse 10. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses burst forth with new wine. The promise is that the fields from which the first crops are given will bear more crops. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty. The vines from which the first wine or grape juice is given to the Lord will bear more grapes. The business from which a portion is given, will do better. Their family income, there'll be more to go around. The promise of material reward. And you say, wait a minute, I know the Lord will bless me spiritually, but should you say that he'll bless me materially? Well, if we have to make a choice, let's choose spiritual by all means. What can compare with your child coming to know the Lord, or your child growing in the Lord, or your child marrying another Christian who loves the Lord and serving him together. What can compare with that? Nothing. If it's a matter of choosing, let's choose the spiritual. But I'm not sure we have to choose. Augustine, in a sermon on this subject, he says, Inasmuch as the Lord 
promises both spiritual and material blessings, why do you defraud yourself? Uh, does that mean that... Well, let me point out one other passage along the same line in Proverbs. Look at Proverbs eleven twenty-four. It says, There is that scattereth, and yet increaseth. There is that that withholdeth more than is meat, but it tendeth to poverty. The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered again, watered also himself. And notice, there is that scattereth, there is the person who gives away his resources, and yet increaseth. That's a paradox. You would say, well, if I give away, I will impoverish myself. But it says, he scatters and yet increases, because God, in his own mysterious way, so blesses that it works out that way. There is that that withholdeth more than his meat. The person keeps more than he should, thinking to enrich himself, but it tendeth to poverty. God blows on it. The promise of material reward. Now, does that mean that every person who begins to tithe will automatically receive material reward? No. This is a general promise. It has a general application. Proverbs are general truths. Does the early bird always get the worm? No. Uh, these are general principles. There are other factors that get into the picture. The Pharisees and the scribes, Jesus said, you tithe your backyard herbs, your mint and cumin, but the weightier matters of the law, love, uh, justice, and mercy, you've omitted. These you ought to have done, you ought to have tithed, and not to have left the other undone. What about the entirety of my life? Am I dealing honestly with God in all of these various areas? Uh, again, it might not be good for me spiritually for the Lord to bless me materially. It might mess me up spiritually. And if he has to make a choice, why, he'll bless me spiritually. Praise the Lord. You know, Scripture warns about the dangers of riches. And we read that, but we, we say, Lord, I believe I can handle it. <clears throat> Go ahead and try me. Uh, we, are, we don't take seriously the warnings. Think of the widow that Jesus made comments. She went by the treasure in the church, and she put in her might, and Jesus called his disciples and said, You notice that? She put in more than all the others. They gave out of their wealth. She, out of her poverty, had put in all of her possessions, all of her living. I imagine she went home and she was immediately reimbursed in some fantastic way, don't you? I don't think so. She could have been. God is gracious. But I suspect the Lord kept her poor, although she gave her all. Why? To be a tremendous testimony to how a person just like that can love him and serve him. Here she is, 2,000 years later, challenging us. Don't you think he's got some folks like that around today, that, she, that he keeps that way to be a constant challenge? Sure he does. But the general promise results in the general experience of God's people, that as they give, they are prospered both spiritually and materially. That's the general testimony of God's people. I think of a fellow who's a member of our congregation some years ago, he began to attend. He and I had been in college together. He was not a Christian. He thought of himself as a Christian, but 
I happened to preach on tithing. And he said, come over to supper. And he said, you really believe in tithing? I said, yes, I do. He said, well, you know, maybe that's the problem. I, I work hard. I feel like I have ability, but I don't realize anything like the income. I feel I should for the energy and effort. I, maybe that's the problem. Maybe God can't bless me as he otherwise would because I haven't tithed. We talked back and forth, and I said, uh, would you rather make uh, nine-tenths, have nine-tenths of what the Lord can make through you, or ten-tenths of what you can make on your own? That one's kind of hit him. I didn't know it, but he decided to start tithing. About a month later, I got a check to the church that was just large for him. And uh, I thought, he's gotten converted. But uh, then I saw him, and he said, you know... I went to work at this company, and I set myself a level of income as a goal. If I ever made that level, that was all I really cared to make. I've been way below that goal all these years. The month that I began tithing, my income jumped up above that goal and has been above ever since. Interestingly enough, uh, he got to thinking like this. He said, my goodness, I kept one of God's commandments, and look what happened. I wonder what would happen if I kept all of them. And so he got the Ten Commandments, and he began to work on it, and guess what? He couldn't do it. <laughs> he couldn't keep them all, and he began to realize it. And he began to realize that he was a sinner, like we all are, and that the only way he was going to get into heaven was to accept a Savior, that somebody had to die for his failure to keep these Ten Commandments, and that led him to trust Jesus Christ as his Savior. Uh, it is the general testimony of God's people, though. I could tell stories by the hour along those same lines, that as, as we give, that we are prospered. Now, uh, this kind of raises a question of uh, when the Lord prospers, what do you do then? Uh, of course, we should increase above the tithe. The tithe is the minimum. Sometimes we may decrease. Brother Brian uh, had a man in his church who... He understood it stopped tithing, and he went to see him. He says, Brother Jones, I understand you've stopped tithing. He said, Yes, I have. He said, Why? He said, Well, when I started, I wasn't making much, and a tithe didn't amount to much, but then the Lord blessed me, and a tithe would be a great deal of money now. He said, Oh, I understand. He said, Let us pray. Dear Lord, please reduce this brother's income until he can afford to tithe. Uh, well, uh, you get this. Some feel. The fellow said, wait a minute. <laughs> uh, possibly you still are worried about the idea of material blessing and whether we should appeal to that uh, promise in that way. Let me read you a statement of Charles Hodge, the great theologian and commentator, in his commentary, commentary on 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he says this, The sentiment here expressed is the same as in Proverbs 11, 24, and 25. There is that scattereth and yet increaseth. The liberal soul shall be made fat, so on. He said, Our Lord teaches the same doctrine, Luke 6, 38, Give and it shall be given unto you. It's edifying to notice the difference between the divine wisdom and the wisdom of men. The wisdom of men... Uh, says that inasmuch as the proper motive to acts of benevolence is a desire for the happiness of others and a regard to the will of God, it's wrong to appeal to any selfish motive. That's human wisdom. 
the wisdom of God while teaching the entire denial of self and requiring a man even to hate his own life when in conflict with the glory of God, tells all who thus deny themselves that they thereby most effectually promote their own welfare. He that loses his life shall save it. He that does not seek his own shall best secure his own. He that humbleth himself shall be exalted. There can, however, be no hypocrisy in this matter. It's not the man who pretends to deny himself, to humble himself, or to seek the good of others rather than his own, while he acts from a regard to self, who is thus rewarded. It's only those who sincerely put themselves second to others who shall be preferred before them. We may thence learn that it is right to present to men the divinely ordained consequences of their actions as motives to control their actions. It is right to tell men that obedience to God, devotion to his glory and the good of others, will effectually promote their own welfare. They see the promise, uh, the claim uh, that's involved in uh, this prompt acknowledgement of the claims of God and this promise. You know, the Christian wants to give. He has it in his heart to do good to his fellow man. He wants to advance the kingdom of Christ. And this problem, a lot of times, is he doesn't see how. He looks at his income, he looks at his outflow, and he says, there's no way I can tithe. How do you spell tithe? A what? A tenth. I'm already going under, and you want me to give a tenth? And he looks at it, and he says, there's no way I can do it. Or you want me to increase beyond that? Right there is where that promise comes in as an incentive. Honor the Lord with thy substance. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty. Thy presses burst forth with new wine. There is that scatter it and yet increase it. That's where the promise comes in. I was reading uh, about a Baptist pastor named Kirkendall. He lived in the early part of this century in the horse and buggy days. And, uh, he was having uh, a lay stewardship speaker, Doc, uh, Mr. H.Z. Duke of the Duke and I Nickel Stores, who was a Baptist layman traveling around Texas speaking at churches. And Kirkendall pastored a small country church, and uh, Mr. Duke spoke at his church on stewardship. And then Kirkendall was taking him to the next church in his horse and buggy. And as he drove along, Mr. Duke said, Brother Kirkendall, do you believe in tithing? He said, I certainly do. He said, I preach it. He said, do you tithe? He said, no, I don't. He said, uh, I have 12 children, and we make $125 a month. There's just no way I can tithe. I would love to tithe. He said, well, let me ask you this. Uh, what about conducting an experiment? You take out of your check $12.50 at the first of the month and give that to the church. And uh, you go through the year this way. And any point where you really are hurting, you write me and you say, Mr. Duke, I've given so much during the year and I'm hurting. And I will return to you immediately by mail the whole amount that you've given up to that point. Would you do it under those conditions? He said, well, yes, I would. And I would appreciate it. That would let me tithe and not feel hypocritical when I preach on it. So he started off in the first month. He wrote that check, 1250 and somehow they made it through the month. Second month, same thing, and somebody put a ham under the seat of his buggy or a neighbor brought over some corn uh, for 
a horse. Another neighbor brought over some hay for the house, uh, the cow, and so on. And just uh, the children didn't seem to get as sick. The shoes didn't wear out quite as fast. He made it all the way to the end of the year without having to write Mr. Zoo. And all of a sudden it dawned on him. God made me the same promise. And I was willing to take the word of a man and act in faith on his word, but I wasn't willing to trust God. It really comes down to faith. Then, When you get right down to it, it comes down to faith. We see here the call to prompt acknowledgement of the claims of God and the incentive to do it. And then the call to generous charity to the poor. That's another emphasis that runs throughout Scripture and in the Proverbs. Uh, for instance, uh, in the Proverbs, you have uh, that emphasis given in a number of Proverbs. One is Proverbs uh, 19.17, He that hath pity upon the Lord, a poor lendeth unto the Lord. And he which hath given, that which he hath given, will he pay him again. Proverbs 19.17. Proverbs 23, 9. He that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed, for he giveth of his bread to the poor. Proverbs 27, 28. He that giveth unto the poor shall not lack, but he that hideth his eyes shall have many a curse. Emphasis on charity to the poor. Now, poverty takes a lot of different forms. We'd be wrong to restrict it to material poverty. Think of the poverty of the person who's lonely, the older person who's in a nursing home maybe, or the poverty of someone who's just lost their wife or their husband. Many forms of poverty. But one form, I guess the worst form of poverty is to not know Jesus Christ. Or how about this, not even have access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. How's that for poverty? And many people are in that position. And our gifts can make a tremendous difference in the, in the message of Christ being accessible to them. And so uh, we don't want to restrict the concept of poverty to just material poverty. But we want to try to meet every need of our fellow man that we can. Material needs, spiritual needs, emotional needs, every need that we can meet, we want to try to meet. And the incentive here, you notice, is similar. He that giveth to the poor lendeth to the Lord, and that which he hath given the Lord will repay him again. Comes back to the Lord, underwriting my effort there, if I'll just step out in faith. Uh, The person with the bountiful eye shall be blessed. The person who doesn't will have many a curse, and so on. Uh, the implications for us as a church and as individuals is that in our giving, we need to make sure that we're seeking to really meet the need of our fellow man. Material needs, spiritual needs, not just spending it all on ourselves. Years ago, we as a church set ourselves a goal, and we worked toward it. Six percent, fourteen percent, so on, where we would give a dollar for dollar, a 50-50 budget. Every dollar we spent on ourselves and our own programs, we would seek to give a dollar to other works that were meeting the needs of men, whether it's an inner city work, whether it's missions, uh, whether it's a college ministry, uh, whatever it might be, uh, Jimmy Hill mission, so on. We would seek to, to give, for every dollar we spent on ourselves, a dollar to others. And God has blessed us over the years as we've sought to do that. Uh, we need to 
be conscious of meeting the needs of the poor. Now, what about it? Do you tithe? If I underwrote it, would you do it? I can't. <laughs> but if I could, would you do it? Well, uh, why not take the Lord's underwriting of it? He really offers to do that. Uh, is it a lack of faith that holds you back? Is it selfishness? This is a great cure for selfishness. Start giving. Teach the children to give like this. Bring them in on it. Uh, if you are tithing, why, go ahead and try to go above that. Someone says, well, what do you mean by the tithe? The net of the gross. Do you want God to bless the net of the gross? <laughs> Surely you want him to bless the gross. When you think of giving before or after taxes, you know, taxes to me are something we pay for goods delivered, and we pay more than we get delivered, but that's not the issue. Uh, you pay for police protection, you pay for highways and so on that you can travel down. Uh, why not include the light bill and the water bill and other bills if we're going to begin to subtract that kind of thing? Let's not let our, our love be satisfied by his law. It's a matter of the heart. Let's go beyond. Let's do all we can do to love the Lord. I love the Lord because he's heard my voice and my supplication, says psalmist. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who satisfies thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagle. Let's do it because we love him, and we love our fellow man, and we trust him, and we believe that he's good for his word. You know, I like to talk about money. You do. Yes, I do. Why? Because I see so much spiritual growth come out of people wrestling with this. And that's what I like about this time of the year. It's such an opportunity as a congregation to trust God in a fresh way, to step out, to give ourselves afresh to his cause, and seek to do all we can for our fellow man. I love that opportunity for genuine struggling and stepping out. Let me challenge you to do it. Honor the Lord with thy substance, with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses burst out with new wine. If you haven't given yourself to the Lord, that's the starting place. Let us pray. As our hearts are bowed, uh, think on what the Lord's been saying to you. Have you truly received Jesus Christ? Trusted him as your Savior? Surrendered to him as your Master? If not, do that right now. Trust him to come into your life as a sheer gift. Just pray and invite him in. Lord Jesus, I trust you to come into my life, to forgive me as a gift based on your death. I surrender to you as my Master. And if you have done that, step out now and tithe and go beyond the tithe. Father, we pray that you would just speak to every heart here. We thank you for your word that is such a nourishment to our soul spiritually that challenges us and, and produces faith in us as we respond. 
Father, I thank you for this body of men and women who, who respond so warmly to challenges like this. It's easy to preach to them, Father, about committing themselves because they love you. Bless us in this. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.